podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. Today's episode is a little bit longer, but uh, there's just so much history to cover on Johnny Moore and his family, and we're so honored that he took the time to tell it all to us. Um, we've even decided to include two pieces of music, two songs put out by the Esquires, and um, we'll kick things off by the one that made them the most famous, so that you know um, and are familiar, and, and probably many of you have heard this before. Uh, have heard Get On Up before, but uh, then you have a little background information as you're heading into the interview, and then we'll conclude with what is discussed later on in the interview itself. Enjoy. today's episode I have here in in the room with me Johnny Moore of the Esquires 2. So welcome Johnny, good to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I have so many things I want to ask you about because um, you and your family are kind of like legends in the R&B and kind of funk scene, right? Would Correct. You, yeah, would you say that? What genre would you call it really? I would call it uh, 
R&B soul pop. R&B soul pop. Okay. More Pacific, the Chicago sound. The Chicago sound. Okay. Great. From great. The mid '60s to going into into the late '60s, the impression sound, Childish Dales, yeah. but they, it's really everything was recorded that they recorded. Eighty seventy five percent of them was recorded in Chicago mm-hmm. with the Chicago musicians who were later who were behind the impressions also. Mm-hmm. And some ventured off to become Earth Wind and Fire. Okay. Yeah. And then they made a move to New York and I don't know who backed them up in New York. I just know it was a change in the sound. Okay. And back to Chicago where they recorded uh their third biggest hit guide, a song called Girls in the City. It was written by Tony Hester who they met in New York, was actually from Detroit, who also wrote in Go Outside in the Rain, What You See Is What You Get, Get Off My Mountain Mother Dramatics. Okay. So his third biggest hit for Tony was Girls in the City back in 71. Nice. But nice. They, like I said, they made him out in New York, but he was actually from Detroit. Okay. And they ended up doing a lot of recording in Detroit later on also. Okay. But mainly Chicago, New York, then Detroit, and then the very end, California. So. There was a there was a there was a quick pit stop at Capitol Records in '69. Okay. When they got signed, so. Nice, and your family, but I mean, they've been all over the place, but they are originally from Milwaukee. They've been originally from Milwaukee, have never left Milwaukee. <laughs> no matter what write-ups you see or hear on YouTube or on social <laughs> media, they've never left Milwaukee. It's just that people get them think they're from Chicago because they have the Chicago sound. Right. And everything was they they recorded out of Chicago, but as soon as the recording things were over, they had been stationed and then came back up, back home in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much how that went. Yeah, was it because at the time the recording studios to go to were in Chicago, or did they prefer to go to Chicago? The to get a song like "Get On Up Out" to have it sell that many copies had to be done in a city like Chicago. Okay, there's no way Milwaukee could handle. Mm-hmm. Something like that, especially when it exploded overnight like mm-hmm. that. That Milwaukee cannot handle that. Okay. Especially that all the Milwaukee handle it well. You have social media now on YouTube and right, download, right. so you can't be not totally easier. different ball game. But. I mean, ball game, but Milwaukee had no way to, to press the records. Yeah. To get them to the stores across the world. Yeah. That and, fast. And and when again was this? Um, was was your family? Your father is the initial. The, yeah, founder. the lead singer. When it's. He's, it's three of them, actually. Yeah. They were formed in high school with his brother, Elvis, senior, his sister's younger sister, Betty, and Gilbert Moore. Nice. And the older sister named him, older sister Pete, named the Esquires after Esquire magazine. She said it sounded classy. And that's in 1957 at okay. North Division High School. You know, my dad's from Lincoln. Oh, okay. But the other two went to North. Okay. Got it. How that happened, he's at Lincoln, they're at North, I don't know. <laughs> One around to be a witness to that, but yeah, that's that's yeah. what happened. And they started singing in 57, and then they went through a lot of lineup changes, like they said. Uh, one of the family neighborhood friends that joined them at the time okay. was Harvey Scales. Okay. And Harvey sung one for a while, and then Harvey branched off and found another band called The Seven Sounds, mm-hmm. who my uncle, who is with me still, mm-hmm. the guitar player, Rudy Jacobs, he's not here today. Uh, he had formed, mm-hmm. and that's how you got Harvey Skills and the Seven Sounds. Mm-hmm. Kind of a branch off of the Esquires to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And then they, Get On Up came out, and they did, you know, they played the local scene, and Get On Up became a big splash, and they yeah. went on the road, and I 
assume, because Harvey was with them a lot on the road, and I'm singing in the group, but the seven songs were with them a lot mm-hmm. on the road. So I, I'm believing that they kind of promoted it as a, the Milwaukee sound going out east, because they're, okay. they're both at the Apollo together at the same time. Wow. You know, so, and they're in all around eastern Pennsylvania. Wow. Also, a lot in a lot of Wilkesboro, Harrisburg, Scranton, Philadelphia, okay. Reading, all up and down New Jersey. Okay. In New York, New York City. Nice. And so your dad and his family uh, started the Esquires. And what year about what did they come around? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven. Okay. Getting up comes out ten years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were they doing up until Get Get On Up comes out? They would play around all the local venues here in Milwaukee. I remember one that was called Surfside 16, then it changed to Mr. Park's place. It's no longer there. On 16th and North Avenue. Mm-hmm. And then there was a place called The Scene. I think they used to play at a lot. Mm-hmm. And some of the couple of places I can't even remember. Mm-hmm. If you said the name, oh, I remember that name back in the day. Mm-hmm. But they played around very, very look, Garfield Park, mm-hmm. you know, which is now Clinton Road Center. And I went over there. They played there so much that they have a mural on their wall. Oh, really? Yeah. Is it still there? It's still there right now. The mirror came up since they passed. Oh, wow. You know, so if you go over the Garfield Park, they have little drawings along the wall, you go along the street, and sure enough, there's a, a painting, graphic art of the Esquire sitting right next to James Brown. Oh, wow. That they have. But they wow. played at Garfield Park. They played at the parks in Carver Park. Okay. They played a lot. They, that was, they used to play in the park before, I guess they had sing-offs. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people said we used to sing, have sing under the street lights. Mm-hmm. You know, the doo wops and all that. We're in Milwaukee, since Milwaukee has more parks than any other city in America. We do have an amazing. It's a lot of parks yeah. in Milwaukee. They would, they would just go to the park, and that's where they even meet and have their sing-offs against other groups. Really? You know, that's how they did it. That's amazing. They would just go to park, to park, to park, to park, to park. Like, and just uh, is it like? Uh improv kind of stuff or just what they had and, what, know, they had, what they had and they, one group do theirs and then, then here they come and they're just yeah. seeing the same people yeah. or the same groups that's going to and that was like in the late 50s or yeah it had to be in the late 50s yeah okay how fun and so so they were they were making music in the Milwaukee area primarily but then what got them to the point that they decided that they needed to do something bigger I think that was their intentional goal mm-hmm. from the beginning of the whole Things starting in '57, it could have been before that, mm-hmm. before they even started singing together as kids. Mm-hmm. But the way it played out, they were a little bit too astute mm-hmm. at the music business to see what, because to have happened what happened, and to still receiving royalties and monies that are due to them until their grandkids to get some of it. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that was unheard of. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get XM Radio kind of changed the game a little mm-hmm. bit, especially for the old groups from the 60s and actually the 70s too. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, like Motown, would be a good example compared to Chicago. Mm-hmm. A lot of people at Motown didn't do their writing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people in Chicago did a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. And later on in life, as they, you know, you go on with your life, those royalties will always come to the writer, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just how it works. Like I said, XM right. Radio now has changed the game because now you get you got to pay them because it's a prescribed radio like cable mm-hmm. TV. So you have to get paid for singing a song, and then you have your writers who still get their share also. Mm-hmm. But it was it, that's pretty much they pretty much had their his their eye on that the whole time. Mm-hmm. 
you know. And then, like I said, he wrote Get On Up, and then uh, he went, actually, they did a demo of it, what I believe. I never heard the demo here in Milwaukee. And they went down to Chicago trying to talk to, uh, actually, Curtis Mayfield. But what happens is, on uh, 24th and Wisconsin Avenue, which was called the Eagles Club, mm -hmm. which people called the Rave. Right. I believe, I don't know who was down there playing, but Fred Cash from the Impressions was in, was in town. Okay. And with them running around singing all they did, they became kind of known. So it's easy for them to get backstage. So apparently he showed Fred Cash the song Get On Up on a piece of paper. And Fred Cash on the Impressions told him, that's a hit. He need to come down to Chicago and talk to Curtis. Because Curtis actually had his own record label by his time. Who that guy said Chicago was different from Detroit. Yeah. It's a different game going on in Chicago. And Curtis was not interested in them. That's that's officially what he told them. Rumors have been that Curtis was scared of my dad. Because he sounded just like him. Oh really? Just he sounded just like him. Repetitive kind of thing. Yeah, yeah sound just like him. Mm -hmm. So he said I went on down the street to the next person. No, there was Take note, first no, don't take it for no, just keep going and going and going. And he ran across a guy named Bill Shepard who was with Constellation Records, mm -hmm. who would be Gene Chandler, mm -hmm. Duke of Earl. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Constellation Records yeah. in Chicago. And they went under before Bill Shepard could actually get them signed and, and the song get on up out to Constellation. But things happen for a reason. Yeah. Because he, once they went under, and he had, he was, he started his own label called Bunky, and he had a group called the Shepherds, actually named after him. And the guy named Miller Edwards down in Chicago, who was a shepherd, mm -hmm. heard the song, the demo, and said, I like the song, but it's missing something. And I don't know he's missing something. And finally, they said, Miller said, when he heard the song, he said, get on up, <laughs> get on up. And it became the hook to the song. Nice. That's how that transpired. I love that. So, like I said, things happen for reasons, and you think bad things happen, but the reason they had a reason for it happening, God, they say God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. He does. <laughs> he definitely does. So that was the start of that journey. So what right. happened once, you know, once they finished that in the studio? Well, this is a story that came from my Uncle Sam, who mm -hmm. was actually the brother-in-law. Okay. Okay. Uh, he said they went down there and they recorded it, so they got back in the car and they came back, I'm going to assume back up 27th Street, because I don't think I-94 was complete at the time, <laughs> which was going to be 41. That's how long ago it was. That's yeah. how long ago this was. <laughs> he said when they got in the car and they came back, and he said they pulled around the corner to get to my to their mom's, my mom, my grandmother's house, and the whole family was sitting outside on the porch. And he said as they pulled up, the whole family told them, they just called from Chicago, they said don't get out the car, come right back right now. Don't even get out the car, just come right back down here. And the rest is history. So did they just have gigs booked right after that, or were they just on the radio, or what happened? It it went on the radio. The best way I can tell this story is this. The song hit the radio as if a bomb had went off in Milwaukee. Really? It was like, it was like wow. And me and my, my brother, and my that's right below me uh, in age, we were kind of like, what's the big deal? <laughs> Yeah, I like the song, but yeah. what, why is everyone losing their mind about yeah. this song like this? Yeah. How old were you at the time? Six. Okay. <laughs> and he's five. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were, you know, like everybody's just like, you know, losing their mind about the song. And then the next thing, very shortly after that, we had no father or uncles. 
in our in the house anymore because right. now they're gone on the roll and they're gone the first time they were gone for about three and a half to four months straight and my uncle sam said they, we did 40 shows 40 nights 40 different towns johnny wow illinois indiana ohio pennsylvania newark not newark new jersey yeah yeah new york wow wow they didn't know what hit them huh right they they were just, we, we just gone they, that's, Did they a, expect that? No, but that's what they wanted. Right, right. But they, but then at the same time, as they was doing the shows, they would be on national shows with other national artists who kind of they learned from. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had one where actually he had one. Bubba Knight is the one who actually put him. Sam was a choreographer basically, mm-hmm. him and Elvis. But Bubba Knight. Is the one who pulled him to the side and worked with him and showed us all in this. You do this, you do this. That's all in your hands. So they were on tour with them, me and them, and Bubba Knight. His sister's more famous, mm-hmm. Gladys. So oh, it's Gladys okay. Knight and the Pips, yeah, yeah, yeah. who they were on tour with. Bubba, her brother's wow. the one who kind of took them to the side. Do this, do it like this. He goes, Johnny, we were green. We were used to working in Milwaukee. We weren't used to being on a national scene like this. Yeah. He said, and Aretha Franklin was one night. So Aretha Franklin told him, y'all, don't worry. Y'all gonna be just fine. Y'all gonna be just fine. So your dad's hanging out with, with people like Gladys Knight and Aretha Franklin, mm-hmm. and their uh, and their, you know, cohorts and colleagues and things like mm-hmm. that. Wow. It's I a big, mean, big, big. That was a big, 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 big song. Yeah. Number three. Number three mm-hmm. in the charts. Okay. That was you know. And at that time, I mean, people uh, the the charts were. I mean, I mean, the charts are still a big deal, but. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, people paid attention to that. So. Well, in, in the second grade, by the time, as the time goes on, I end up going to the second grade. Uh, I, can read, I can read the billboard charts. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what, how to read them. Yeah. You know, how they went in the order, in the weeks that they went. And I, I fully understood what the DJ said. Climbing the charts like a bullet. Yeah. Because they could look at the, the billboard chart and they have this week. It was really actually weird. They had, like, the third week. Then the second week, and then the first, the last, the latest week. Yeah. And you could see how the song was climbing or dropping. Okay. And I guess the DJ could know what to play if the song was going up pretty fast, or if it was starting to come down. You could start telling when it reached its peak. Yeah, yeah. You know, I start playing it less and less and less, and then whatever songs is coming up the chart, they'll keep playing it more and more and more. Yeah. But I could read that chart and tell you what was going on with it <laughs> at such a young age. Wow, wow. And, and your dad's name is? Gilbert Moore, Jr. Okay, got it, got okay. it. Senior, my grandfather, and I didn't know some of this until I talked to my, my uh, Raynette, his sister, who's still alive, uh, was from a group called the, Goth, the Friendly Five of Gospel Group that mm-hmm. was really formed in Alabama. Okay. And I could tell by their pictures that they were pretty professional. Mm-hmm. So actually he's passed on, so I talked to Aunt Margaret, that's his sister, and I go, were they kind of like known famously? And this is about two months ago I talked to her. She goes, yeah, Johnny. She goes, they, they pulled up stakes in Alabama and moved to a town in Pennsylvania. This is the gospel group? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I go, Philadelphia? She goes, no. I go, Pittsburgh? No. She says, and she's like 93. She goes, Chester. I go, yeah, because I went through and I had to do a show about them in Philadelphia, Chester, Pennsylvania. She goes, yeah, that's where they, they, they formed their foundation that they based themselves out of Chester, Pennsylvania. They were in kind of a nationally known group. 
So wow. actually, it comes. My grandmother could yeah. play piano, and her was wow. musically inclined too. Wow. But there, a lot of it comes from the grandfather. Yeah. Or my grandfather. Yeah, right down the family line. Mm -hmm. It just travels. It just goes on and on. Yeah. <laughs> So did you know, uh, did you realize what a celebrity your, your father had become? Yes. <laughs> There's another grandfather who brought a lot of attention to the spotlight. We had to be under the spotlight with, but he was much older and known his career. My mom's dad is Johnny Watts of the Harlem Globetrotters. Of the Harlem Globetrotters, okay. Yes, who's three-time state champion okay. in the state of Wisconsin. Wow. From Beloit. So you're in some royalty on both sides, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we kind of... Had to adjust to things. Yeah. For instance, he had a tavern and uh, 10th and Locust, we lived up the street at the time during the 60s. And I always remember this guy sliding me down the bar. He, <laughs> but he was the only one that let me get on the bar and let this guy push me. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I used to love it. Well, Lord behold, I don't know, it was actually Hank Aaron. Yeah. He told me this a couple months ago when we first met, and mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that. So mm -hmm. It was actually Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron used to hang out and, and push you around. Mm -hmm. Push me <laughs> down the bar, on top of the bar. Okay. And then later on, it's, it's getting up, it already happened. Uh, when the Bucks performed as an expansion team, they asked my grandfather, uh, I forget their names now, the owners of the Bucks, could he help mm -hmm. sell tickets through his tavern sure. in the black community. So my grandfather agreed, so from that was in 68, so he, and he would like buy a whole row, they would give him a whole row of tickets and he always sold it to all his friends who came to the tavern. The name of his tavern was Watt Sportsman's Bar. And he okay. had baseball teams and uh, he had baseball teams and another famous name in this town. And some people who listen to this who are older go, boy, he got some history. Uh, Watt Sportsman's Bar with Johnny Watt's sponsor team and Shaq Johnson, who was a very famous softball baseball player in Milwaukee. He had a tavern. Everybody had taverns. <laughs> if they were famous in the area, they right. had taverns. Right. Everybody, had, it was a tavern like two and three on a corner yeah. at sometimes yeah. in Milwaukee. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> so make a long story short, once my grandfather started doing that, we, me and my brother would tag along with him, and we went to, if there's 41 home games, we went to 33 to 34 home games of the Bucks from 1969 through 19, till we left. <laughs> till we left, like, to 1978. Okay. Easy. Both finals. Yeah, wow. First one against Baltimore, next one against Boston. Wow. Did you get to meet any of the big players? Oscar knew my grandfather and Wayne Emery knew him. Yeah. They would always wave to him a certain way. <laughs> you know, but he didn't stay after the game. The only time he stayed after the game for that to happen uh, is he used to coach a church called St. Benedict. And the guy that was on his team was an NBA All-Star named Johnny Johnson on Milwaukee Mesmer. Huh. And that's the only time when Seattle came to town, he would stay after the game. <laughs> and ironically, it was ironic because Seattle had two players from Milwaukee on their team. Ah. Johnny Johnson and from Lincoln High School, downtown Freddie Brown, ah. who played against my uncle. It's another okay. story, though. <laughs> but that's, he would stay around. And, but anyway, make a long story short. So, Going, going through this process, we went to places and we're in scenarios that most kids yeah, don't it. find themselves yeah. in. So, but you have to act accordingly, and you know, yeah. and then you get the whole 
Esquire music thing going on yeah. all at the same time. So you, know? you were aware of being around celebrity um, in your family mm -hmm. uh, through your grandfather first on your mom's side. Right. Yeah, and then when your dad made it bigger. Um, then it became even more crazy. You, get, you <laughs> got heightened ten times. Yeah, yeah. So now we got, you know, we wake up like 2, 30, 3 o'clock in the morning and we look and, you know, who is these four or five men walking through our house at 3 o'clock on a Saturday night with these big giant afros? <laughs> The shy lights. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. They hadn't made it, they hadn't put their first hit out, at least nationally at that time. Wow. But shy lights, I met them, the Impressions, yeah. in the driveway on Denton Locus, <laughs> in the Dells. The Jacksons came to the other uncle's house. Wow. They weren't, they were uh, up and coming. They actually, people forget that the Jackson Fives are actually with Steeltown Records. Way before Motown. Yeah. So they're all in, they're out of Gary, which is Chicago. So they're all right. in the same Chicago land. Yeah. Playing the same, basically the Regal. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, this is the tidbit. When you go back and look at uh, the Jackson Five before they got to Motown, and then they say they're on the show with Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's, I believe their name is. They had a big hit song about your mama. I can't remember the exact mm -hmm. title. When anyway, Bobby Taylor is credited for taking the Jackson Fives to Motown, but, but if you dig deeper, there's also a rumor that Tommy Chong was responsible for it. Tommy Chong's a Vancouver hmm. from Cheech and Chong, Tommy Chong. Oh, wow. He's an original Vancouver huh. in Chicago. There's so much history mm -hmm. there. <laughs> I'm so glad you're sharing this with us. There's so many things to tie together here. So... Um, did you ever get to go along on any of the tours with your father? No. No. <laughs> no. No. Did that make you angry? or? No, because every summer with our grandparents, mm -hmm. the one that the ball player, mm -hmm. we always went and seen our relatives in certain states every summer. Mm -hmm. We went to Fairfield, Iowa, Burlington, Iowa, mm -hmm. Youngstown, Ohio, Erie, Pennsylvania, and the Hamptons along Long Island, New York. At this time, all of which we had moved to the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. Let's get that straight. Okay. She, when we went to visit him, Aunt, Aunt Ethel May, she lived way out in the country, <laughs> two hours east of New York City. Wow. You know, and we always, he always based himself out of uh, Chicago. Yeah. We had a lot of relatives, not a lot of relatives in Chicago, but relatives in Chicago. So we go to Chicago on his first day there, and then we'll go to either Iowa one way or Youngstown, Ohio. He's yeah. had a lot of fun in Youngstown. That was the one I liked. I <laughs> Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, so every summer, we always would go, you know. You're on the road. We're yeah. on the road with our grandparents. Yeah. My grand, my father would take one of you, be around him, pressuring him. He'd let you go to Chicago, but he didn't want to do it because he'd take you down there, like he took my brother Gilbert the Third mm -hmm. Gilbert or Kirk, the one right behind me, and you're in the studio for 10, 12 hours, and you're stuck what down do you do? there, <laughs> and you're stuck down there with him. You know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't want to go down there. If you're going to be stuck this is someplace. before iPads were around. Right. <laughs> you know, and, you, and you, you know, it comes out when he was going to come out. Like, you know, you're down there for my brother uh, Gilbert. Because we went down there one time. Because he was down there with Tom Tom. He went down to see Tom Tom. That's a famous arranger. He goes, Johnny, we were down there for 14 hours yeah. with him. What did, what did they do? I mean, they, well. Like the kids, you know. What, ain't nothing you can do but sit there and just be quiet and look. <laughs> you better be quiet. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, that's... You probably learned a lot of discipline that way, actually. Well, me and my brother Kirk would always get into it. Yeah. Even with the shows in Milwaukee. Yeah. And it's a funny thing because 
my father had a look. Yeah. It was real quick too. <laughs> and he's look. He, me and my brother be on the side of that stage. And he does us real quick. We're in the middle of a song. Real quick look. Yeah, you get off the stage. Y'all gonna get it. Yeah. And we knew, you know, but no one knew what he was really doing. Yeah. You know, just a real quick look because he was our dad. So after the show, we made sure that we went around him. <laughs> and he always, and why so he didn't forget, but yeah, he sometimes he forget. We never got a whooping. Okay. Say it like that. Okay. You know, he, he don't sit down. Yeah. You he know. didn't mess around though. Yeah. That's yeah. that's yeah, that's how he was. Yeah. He yeah. wasn't abusive. Right. Right. But during that time and era of the fathers and the strong father, that's mm -hmm. that's just how they mm -hmm. how they were raised. Mm -hmm. We knew better. We we were very well. They're very well minded kids. They used to get that all the time. Oh, their kids are very real minded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <We> just, <laughs> Aww. And then how how long were the Esquires um, keeping busy on the road touring? Well, when Get On Up first initially came out, I think the first time they left, which I had mentioned, was three about three months to three and a half months. Then they came home. Okay. okay. And this was in this. I want to say sixty, late sixty-seven, sixty-eight. Okay. Mm -hmm. They came home, and this time they had masters. He had master tapes with him. We used to listen to these masters. My brother knew how to work the reel to reel. Mm -hmm. He had a reel to reel tape player in the house. And we would play these master tapes. And me and my brother, it drove us crazy. Mm -hmm. Really, we heard this there's no singing, there's no voices, it's just a track, mm -hmm. what people call a click track today. Mm -hmm. But it's driving me and my brother crazy. It's like this music sounds so familiar, mm -hmm. but it's not been on the radio. Mm -hmm. If we never heard it before, but what is it about this music that sounds so familiar? Mm -hmm. And then we finally figured it out. My mom and my dad and them sung a lot of their songs too, but my mom was a big impression fan. And the band that we're listening to that was doing this music was a studio band for the impressions in Chicago. Uh -huh. And that sound, we knew that sound right away. We, we kind of, you kind of, people say, oh, you're blessed. Yeah. It could be a curse too. Because <laughs> things gnaw at you. Yeah. You know, and you know what? No, 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 no. You know, and something's just driving me crazy about what is it about that? And then you go and you do your research and you find out. Perfect example is when I heard Studio by Phil Collins. Da -da 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 I go, what? I know those horns. What do I know these horns? Yeah, yeah. So I went and bought the album. I took the album. I, go, I knew it. <laughs> Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. Because I, I could hear it right away. Yeah. It sounds like Sing a Song or Get Away by, by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh huh. And it all made sense since Phil Collins had a hit just before that with the lead singer from Earth and the Fire, Philip Bailey. Yeah. Then he did the studio, and next thing you know, Earth and the Fire horn players are there. It's almost the same storyline yeah. that Bootsy had with the Parliament. Okay. Bootsy shows up, the next thing you know, Fred and Basie, or the horn players from James Brown, now all of a sudden they're over there with him. Mm -hmm. It kind of went the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, but they came back with the Masters, and he wrote a lot of them songs to the album off the Masters. And then they left again, and the album came out okay. with these songs. That was weird to hear these this music, and yeah. all of a sudden the yeah. words are on it. But yeah. I watched him sit there and write a lot of it. Wow. Uh, my mom helped him write a lot of it, too, a lot of songs on the album. It's a lot of songs on the album. So did Elvis and Sam, though. But my mom and my mom had a typewriter that mm -hmm. didn't work right. That was why I remember that. <laughs> uh, so they left. I want to say they left this time. It was six and a half to seven months. Wow. You know, But he would call once a week, sometimes twice a week. Yeah, and then those are long-distance calls, right? Yeah. Yeah, and at that time, long-distance calls cost a lot of money. Yeah. You know? I bet. Yeah. 
So he, he always called, and I always remember, he always would call from a different place. Now, where are you? I'm in Ohio. I'm in, I'm in Philadelphia. I'm in New York. I'm in New Jersey. I'm in North Carolina, South Carolina, and Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he'll call, where are you at this time? I'm, I'm in Philadelphia. You were just there. I had to come back. <laughs> you know, it'd be three, four months later. So finally, they finally made it home. And when this time when they came home, <coughs> came home with a gold record. Oh, wow. It was certified gold by this time. Yeah. The song Get On Up. But by this time, Get On Up had started playing his way down. It was a gold record. And the song Get Away mm-hmm. was, was pretty big. Which goes number nine. Okay. Nice. So, so they were they were starting. To, they were no one hit wonder. Right. They were not one. <laughs> they one hit wonder. No. Yeah. And then by then that happens, and then then they, then they leave again, but not as quite as long. Uh, but when they come back with new songs this time, there's a difference in the sound. Mm-hmm. Hmm. The How old were you at this time, Dean? By the time I'm gonna say I'm eight, mm-hmm. eight or nine. It's you going fast. It's going fast. Yeah. You notice the music kind of jumped around a little bit more. And okay. it sounded different from what we heard came out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. We just could hear it right away. And lo and behold, it's because it was recorded and done in New York. Uh-huh. The, the guy in Chicago dropped his label and got himself set up with Juan Records in New York on the, on the board. And the next thing you know, the Esquires are with Juan Records out in New York City. Okay. So... That's how that transformed. Uh, getting back to him saying, when I said that they were kind of smart, uh, the original Esquires with Alvis Gilbert and Betty, by this time, Betty had left the group to go sing jazz. Okay. Uh, she was still there when Sam, my uncle, came from Kansas City. He's 18 in 61. So he's there since 61. Uh, by this time, Betty had moved to Chicago and decided to sing jazz mm-hmm. through all this happening in like 65 or 64 and next thing you know 68 Betty gets signed to Juan Records hmm. and wonder how that happened <laughs> so before she passed about two years ago she was there I asked I go did he go out there and say the only way I'll come out here with this guy who dropped his record label to, to come out here with you the Juan Records did you sign my sister I come and she said that's exactly what he did <laughs> wow Wow. That's why they weren't dummies. Yeah. You know, and I figured he had to do that because at the time that this transpires, they're hot. Yeah. They're very. He's got a lot of power. Yeah. You know, especially being a writing the principal right over too. You know, so I could see that happening. And she got signed. She did a couple of songs, and then they were with Juan for ooh, maybe a year and a half. I want to say, uh, no more than two years. Then they jump, and then right there, right after that, they signed with Capitol Records. Got it. And they're there for a hot minute. And then they're back in Chicago with Bonky, who in some way, somehow, got his very clever pack up. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. With the song, uh, That Ain't No Reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's that's like the one we're at the end of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then right after That Ain't No Reason, they go to Lamar Records in Chicago, and that's when they get the third biggest hit girls in the city. Wow. That's on the Mar record label. So how many years were they ultimately active? 57 through 79. Wow, that's a until lot. My, until uh, they, my parents had to move to El Paso, Texas. Wow. Because of uh, the job that my mom had. Okay. It, they, it stayed there it was from the end to 1979. And at that, the same year my mom, my parents moved to El Paso, his mom, my grandmother, passed. Okay. And she was kind of like the 
the not the glue. Yeah. But the spiritual. Yeah, the spiritual leader. Leader yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. You know, she 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 was. Yeah. I know her on a podcast. My grandmother was Medea before Medea. That's just say, <laughs> that, that. I like that. Yeah. And what was your mom doing that the job had to move? Supervisor for Alan Bradley. Okay. Wow. Yeah, your family is amazing. She's the third African person to ever work at Allen Bradley. Yeah, and your family in general, as far as the African-American community goes, like, they had uh, some real important firsts. Like, I mean, just, I think I remember when we first talked, uh, your, between your, your mom's father, mm-hmm. uh, and what was the relationship with your grandmother then, too? Like, they were, the, they were two firsts of kind, right? Uh, the Globetrotter thing. Um, yeah. Uh, and there was a college basketball thing, I think. Right, he played. He's the first African American to play at Lacrosse Teachers, which they call it Lacrosse Teachers College, which is actually UW Lacrosse. Okay. But they wanted him to integrate UW Madison. Oh, and okay. I never had that conversation with my grandfather about that, but the rumor was that he couldn't. You know, that, that's not for me. Yeah. Some African American men can go and integrate the first to do something. Yeah. At at that time, and some aren't cut out to do that. Right. Right. You know, and it's a lot of times that's forgotten among all that. Yeah. You know, yeah. some people, my temperament, I, I can't, I'm going to end up doing something to somebody. Yeah. And some people can take it and lead the way, and some people are like, no, I can't do that. I'll yeah. let you, somebody that's going to have to do that. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Because my, I'm not going to take this. Yeah. Uh, but they ran the taverns. Uh, the sister, my dad's sister, Pete, yeah. uh, husband of Reeds, they own a funeral home. Okay. This was ooh, way back in the 50s, you know, and yeah. they migrated, well, not they, the, my dad's side migrated here from Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. And my mom's side, my grandmother was born and raised, her mom, on a farm across Wisconsin. Wow. And then my grandfather's from Beloit, Wisconsin. Yeah. He goes to school in La Crosse. Uh-huh. And that's where he meets my grandmother. Okay. Got it. Got so it. then they, and shortly after that, he gets hired. Yeah. By Abe Cypressine down in Chicago. So now they're based out of Chicago. A lot of my family spent a lot of, were based out of Chicago. At least sure. one site until they made Milwaukee their final stop. It's my uh-huh. mom's side. Uh-huh. So he's with the Globetrotters for like three years and he stopped at home and started his own team called the Harlem Aces. That's the huh. person where oh, that's they were the first to do okay. that. He's the first okay. African American over a pro basketball team actually in the state of Wisconsin. Wow, wow. You know? That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever heard about that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really great. We'll have to definitely hype that a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, I think, in 2011 to the Coaches Hall yeah, of Fame. Yeah. But he's like I said, he's from Beloit, Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. Spent a lot of time there too, and that's another story. <laughs> yeah, but they were active until the late 70s then. Yes. And that's that's quite a while for a band. And he uh. He said it in a certain way, and in his time when I got older, I kind of figured out what he was trying to say. When you do music, and you put a hit song out, whether or not you're by yourself or with a band or with a singing group, your window is about three years, hmm. whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. There are exceptions, but for the most part, you got about a three-year window. Some can push it to four some can only get a year and a half to two years out of it. Mm-hmm. And if, you're told, if I told you, look at a billboard chart 10 years ago, 
and give me the top 100 songs from them groups or the mm -hmm. songs that are on that Billboard chart from 2021, from 2010. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, say 2014. Mm -hmm. And you went back and looked at that Billboard chart, and then you come to today, I guarantee you 75% of them are nowhere to be seen or heard mm -hmm. from again. So my father told me, he says, the music industry works every 10 years, the, the, the generation gets kicked to the curb. That's just how it works. Mm -hmm. Because of who the record buyers were at the time he's saying this. And it's still true today. If I asked you, who is the number one section of record buyers or song downloaders now, mm -hmm. I can say that now, mm -hmm. in America, what section of the public would you would you think would be? Oh, I mean, probably in the ones in their 20s right now, 30s? They're younger. Younger? Yes. Really? Yes. That's the key. Hmm. Teenage girls. Really? They buy everything. <laughs> the lunch boxes, the fan club, the do the t shirts. It's just more than just buying yeah. a, a, the song. That's true. Yeah. You know, all right, you bought the song, now you now here they come to town. Now you're buying a ticket to go to the show. Now they're gonna sell you a T shirt. Yeah. You can join the fan club. Yeah. You can do this, you you, you can do that off of it. So I'm, I'm giving you that story to say this. When you're 13, 14, 15 years old, or 16, 17, okay, mm -hmm. say in 2011, okay, now all of a sudden, 10 years later, now you're 26, 27 years old. And you got kids, probably. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be going down there buying <laughs> all this stuff. You know, because you got kids, you're right. old. You may, go, you may go to the show, just to ruin their own time, yeah. but you're not... Yeah, you're not, you have responsibilities. You got, yeah, you got, but well, you have a lot more responsibilities. So the record companies, that's why they make every go go to the curb sure. because every generation has its own sound anyway. Yeah. So if you, you're not going to have a 15 year old girl screaming at an 80 year old Mick Jagger. Yeah, right. It just ain't going to happen, <laughs> you know. Or, or if he's still around, a 63 year old Michael Jackson. Right, right. You know, they're not. You know, they'll still get their crowd. But yeah. it's the you know, yeah. but there's, but they're not going to be that new crowd of younger right. generations. That's true. That's true. As much as we don't like to admit it. Right. They, right. right. They just they're in a, they're they come from a different time yeah. a different not different place but a different time with music. Yeah. And that's this is what they like. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so after they moved to Texas, your family, your parents mm -hmm. moved to Texas. Um, when did you start getting involved in doing music? Actually, to be on stage was actually after he passed. And when was that? 2009. He passed in 2008. So that's, that's much more recent. So there was a big, was there a big break then in the music actually happening? Well, no, not, there was a big break, but then they got back together. My okay. mom retired. Okay. In 1996. Okay. And they moved back to Wisconsin. Okay. And then the Air Squire started doing shows again. Okay, nice. And it lasted, ooh, I want to say 90, 90, 98, 99. Mm -hmm. And she passed, and my mom passed in 99. And I want to say maybe to around 2001 is when, man, it was longer, maybe 2003. He, my father was diagnosed with throat cancer. Mm. But by this time, his, my Uncle Alvis, his brother, his older brother, had some medical issues going on too. Mm -hmm. And was confined, ended up being confined to the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So 
with that happening, once that happened with his brother Elvis, because they really never went on stage without each other. Mm -hmm. That just, that right. won't happen. Yeah. yeah, there's loyalty. There's, just, there's loyalty, mm -hmm. there's loyalty. If anything, at the end of the day, have loyalty, and it's with your family, make sure you have loyalty. That's what we got taught, mm -hmm. no matter what. You stay true. Not anybody break this family because of the music mm -hmm. That's, that was pounded in our head mm -hmm. by them. It was probably giving their father. Mm -hmm. you know, anybody coming in this family because we have a, a special gift. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear me saying there's a whole bunch of all the kids. You can see it in the kids at three, four, five, six years old. There's something mm -hmm. that's not normal. Mm -hmm. you can, that's not normal what that kid's doing right there. Mm -hmm. The kids getting around making much noise and trying to sing. They're doing the same thing. But in there, she hit the right or he hit the right note. Mm -hmm. You can just you can spot them. Everybody's not touched like that in the family, right. but a lot of them are. Yeah. yeah. So they did that, and then he proceeded to get throat cancer, which. Uh, he got to, he went through his treatments and everything, and then he battled for, ooh, like three, mm -hmm. yeah, that. He got it in 2004, 2005, because he battled for three years, okay. and he passed away in 2008. So while he's battling, since my mom had already uh, passed, mm -hmm. it was, with me being the oldest, yeah. uh, I ended up being the one that was there with him every day, mm -hmm. along with his two sisters, one, mm -hmm. one lived upstairs, and one lived down the hall. The one down the hall was married to the brother-in-law. So the brother-in-law and the sister are down the hall from me. And she did what she had to do, mm -hmm. and then I did what I had to do. Mm -hmm. And it went on for maybe three years. Mm -hmm. So when he passed, they had, like you said, we have so much history. And when I was being in the wheelchair, and then him dying, uh, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, you know, wow, it's just, this history is just going to fade away to myself. Mm -hmm. And then the phone rang, and it was my Uncle Sam. And he said, hey, I want to put this back together. Can you do this? Mm -hmm. I go, yeah, I'll do it. So it actually was my Uncle Sam who called me. But when I got over to his house, it, really, it was Sam, but it really wasn't Sam. Mm -hmm. It was my, my, my biological aunt, Patricia. Okay. She when he went into the bedroom somewhere. She goes, Johnny, he ain't got for two good years left. Mm -hmm. And once he goes... Don't nobody else know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So either you can learn from him or just let it wow. go to the side. Wow. But it was really the Esquires, too, and we were Esquires. I was with some more family members. That was all her yeah. brainchild. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Moore Pace. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she, and she was part of the original. No, that's Betty. That's Betty. Okay. Patty is different than Betty. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. There's Pete, Keep, Betty. Yes. Got right. it. Got it. There's wow. Four. But still, they were all siblings. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But that, yeah. but when he called, and then he rehearsed me, taught me as much as he could, took me down. He actually put me on a stage in Chicago, mm -hmm. Chicago Arena with the Shylight. That was my very first show. Yeah. My very first show I ever been up on stage was with the opening up for the Shylights. Wow. Were you singing? I'm singing and forgot and, and forgot the second verse. <laughs> what did you do? One of the other singers brought it back when I was able to get me back on time. <laughs> and I was able to get through it like that. I never forget that. Wow! But you made it through. I got through it. And you very first, very first song. Thirty seconds into the song, I forgot the second verse. <laughs> <laughs> and she told my entrance. She told me, she goes, whatever you do, Johnny, do not look at the crowd. Uh -huh. Look over their heads into the back of the room. Yeah. Just look over their heads. So I did that. After I got through that first 
30. So now I'm getting more confident. Yeah. I'm getting yeah. more confident. And what was that first show again? This was Thanksgiving 2009. I'll never oh, forget wow. it. I'll never forget that. Wow. Yeah. So I'm singing and it's like going, I'm going, I'm going, and I get more and more confident. So they had like this little catwalk on the mm -hmm. stage, in a beautiful stage down there. And the stage didn't have like a catwalk where you could walk out toward the crowd more. So we all walked out, we're singing a certain song, How Could It Be Actually? And they all turned around and left. And when they turned around and left, the rest of the, the, my uncle and the other singers, the next part came was my lead. Mm -hmm. So uh, I got enough uh, sense to know that I better stay here. Because <laughs> it won't look right with me turning around, I'm doing this lead, walking back with them. So I stayed out there. <laughs> so I'm out here singing by the, on the catwalk by myself, the, the lead. And Trisha said, don't look down. So I go, and I had my sunglasses on so they can tell how nervous I was. But I got to look down. I'm sorry. I got to look down. So I look down at them, and the people are looking at me with this blank look on their face. And I'm like, they're not like they're enjoying it. Some are bombing their heads, but they're not acting like they're not liking it. <laughs> but, and they just got this, they got, they're looking at me with this, this blank look. And I'm like, I tell to myself, what, what is wrong with y'all? So we get through the show, blah, 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 blah. So one of the musicians that was down there um, got a business card from one of the, I don't know what she was, just like a host of a TV program or something okay. down there. She goes, she wants you to call her. So we get back to Milwaukee, the next week I call her, and at the end of the ball, before we did the last song, going up, I said, I want, this is our last song, this is the mm -hmm. first time the Esquire's music has been on stage since my dad passed. Mm -hmm. And back in 1967, my mom wrote a typewriter out. Mm -hmm. And he gave her the words of this song, and as a kid, I played on the floor and wondered, what, what are they doing? And know what I become, know what I know, become their, his masterpiece. So I went on the song, Get On Up. So the woman, I called back next week down there, and she says, you know, the $64,000 question was up there, was, well, who were you? Mm -hmm. Because you sound just like the record. <laughs> and everybody was like, but he's too damn young to be on that record. <laughs> and I go, that's the look that they had. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the look that the they did. Puzzlement. Yeah. This puzzlement look that like, <laughs> and there's not a CD going because we hear the band, everything's live. You can tell by some of the wrong notes that, he's, that some of this is, this is not a CD going. And that was what, yeah. that was the look that they had. Which, yeah. you know, it, that's a, the biggest compliment that you actually yeah. can get. Yeah. And it's the biggest curse. That you actually get, it's, you know, some things, you know, you gotta look at them, you gotta weigh them out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a good thing though. That mm -hmm. you, you want to honor that sound at the same time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so that's exactly what you were doing. Yeah, and and so you've been performing with as the Esquires too ever since then. Yes, we were actually we started out as Esquires. Okay. Because Sam was still that mm -hmm. original one. Then he okay. got sick. Right. And then he couldn't do it no more. And then I went and got the other some more family members. Yeah. And we called ourselves Esquire's Algebra. Okay. And then they decided to go do some other things. Mm -hmm. And then I just changed it with another family member that's in and out at the times and just changed it to Esquire's too. Okay. Sometimes I call it, es I call it Esquire's too all the time. Sometimes, like the people in Pennsylvania, they call it Johnny Moore's Esquire's too. Okay. Yeah. You know, so that way, you, whoever you want to move in around, around you, yeah. it's fine as long as yeah. you're the one that's. It's under your name. It works better for them in uh, Philadelphia. Sure, sure. It's, it's, it's where it's, it's yeah. going on at. You still have a following in some places? Yeah. Like Philly? <laughs> they know the song. 
Yeah. They definitely yeah. know in Chicago. Yeah. Definitely Chicago and Philadelphia. Those are the two really main places that yeah. I've been. But but Chicago is so huge. I've been in Bellwood, Maywood, Chicago, Burbank. Mm-hmm. Where was another one I was at? Not Riverdale. Not Harvey. Somewhere out in Country Club Hills or Country Hills. Mm-hmm. Way, way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was way southwest Chicago. Halfway to Joliet. <laughs> you know, so yeah. especially in that area, but Philadelphia. Nice. And actually, by when we were out there, we were driving back and down Broad Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I look over and I see this big building, and but it's closed, but it's still sitting there. And it got Uptown on it. So when I get back to the hotel room, I call and ask the promoter, I'll go, hey, because that's, because I used to see your dad out here, your dad knew out here so much that I thought they were from Philadelphia. Yeah. And I know a lot of them phone calls came from Philadelphia. So I'll go, hey, is that Uptown? Is that the is that the place where you seen my dad? Which the Uptown Theater in Philadelphia at the, is is closed, but it's the same as the Regal in Chicago or the Apollo in New York. Okay. He goes, that's exactly where your dad was at all the time here. Wow. I go, I just happened to see that by accident at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> just saying, hey. Uh, but they he, they had a big following out there. The, the, a lot of people knew their songs mm-hmm. out there, in, like uh, in Philadelphia, but like. Uh, my uncle Rudy said, you know, we were all up and down that Eastern Seaboard, mm-hmm. the Harvey Scales and the Seven Sounds, and with the Esquires. You know, we were, we were in every place you can name out there in Eastern Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Them, them, not the small towns, but the mm-hmm. cities. The urban areas, yeah. Yeah, the urban areas of Eastern Pennsylvania. Yeah, you know. yeah. And then you were just telling me uh, right before we started this about um, some of the artists that sampled uh, get on up. At, yeah, people I mean, are surprised. Yeah, <laughs> people are kind of surprised. But then, when you get the history on what kind of happened—not so much happened, but the, how they met and people met older than you—you're uh, not surprised. What you're referring to is <laughs> the song was been sampled three or four times by Prince. Yeah, that's amazing. That's mm-hmm. a big honor too. Yeah. And and I'm like, well, okay. But my dad once told me. That uh, basically, I think it was right around Purple Rain. Purple Rain came out. That Prince's father and him were acquaintances. They weren't really good friends. But they knew each other. But they knew each other. Mm-hmm. But he said Prince's dad got here from, didn't move to Milwaukee, but he was in here from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think Prince, because he's asked, asked me that question a lot in El Paso. Is he, think, is he supposed to be a prince or something? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Prince's father is the original. Prince, Prince so, Nelson. Okay. Was the R and B singer. His first, that's what he called himself. And my other uncle in California, Pete's husband, told me that his daddy name was Prince Nelson. Uh huh. And he's from. James was from, originally from St. Louis. Okay. You knew about him. You know, yeah, yeah. He did show that he used to wear this something he used to wear all the time. But that was his name, Prince Nelson. So Prince named himself after his dad. So now, getting back to this sampling yeah. or re-recording, songs got sampled and some, like, he just prints this, redid the whole song, getting up the way mm-hmm. it was arranged. He sampled it and used it for uh, one of his protégés, comedy lecture from The Girl from Baywatch. <laughs> that comedy lecture. Uh, it's a blast from the past. Yeah, that's a blast <laughs> from the past. Uh, 
he sampled it for her, but the, the song he did, he just did a straight the way it was done to get on up. So I'm assuming that once Get On Up becomes this big giant hit, mm -hmm. and then they have the album, like I said earlier, mm -hmm. that his dad's probably listening to this in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And Prince is probably hearing this as a kid. Now, one important part I left out, I kept saying they were on the road a lot. Mm -hmm. The second place they went to the most, other than Chicago, not Philadelphia. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis. St. Paul. Wow. It's that, in that red truck. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 that was the one that, I, that when he said, did you ever go on the road? That's where we wanted to go. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't want to go to Chicago, but can we go to Minnesota? <laughs> and and nah, it ain't one that he was going to take us. I don't yeah. know what happened. But they spent a lot of time in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota, okay. too. A lot. As a matter of fact, uh, Sam told me this, and, and I sort of remembered vaguely, but I remember seeing the guy. Uh, he said they had to wait to uh, leave Milwaukee when they were going to, those three months and them six months times they left because we had to wait for this guy to come from St. Paul, Minnesota, the keyboard player. Because mm -hmm. no one, because that stuff was somewhat complicated. And I didn't know how complicated it was until I started doing it. And some of the other musicians that I use, mm -hmm. they all have the same thing. Mm -hmm. this, this is not the average mm -hmm. music that we're used to hearing these go. You can be learned. My uncle Rudy says it's something that's hard to learn, but once you get it, you'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. And that, and I see what he means by that with the musicians. So Sam said to hear what I was waiting for this keyboard player. They had to wait for him. He jumped in the station wagon when they came from St. Paul, Minnesota, mm -hmm. and that's when they would go on and do all their shows out east and out in New York. And he knew their stuff. And Sam said I was in, he was in charge of putting the music material for the musicians who read. They had to, they, they had to they know how to read back then. They just didn't hire you number right here. You know, we don't take in a band. Mm -hmm. And the keyboard player was the director mm -hmm. and but a lot of times we spent Minneapolis St. Paul. Yeah. A lot. And Rock Island. Okay. Uh, Rock Island, a lot of times Rock Island. But uh that's probably I'm I'm gonna guess that's probably where Prince really got acclimated to hear a lot of the Esquire stuff mm -hmm. through his dad and probably running around the house with I think Prince was with his dad born his mom yeah one of him in his life that's so cool but that that never the one that he uh, covered the version that he covered never got released to the public he never released it and then he obviously he passes but the one by Carmen Electra did okay got it okay everybody get on up and then there's another who else did what is Carmen Electra Prince and I should have said went in there and looked one more time before I came because it's, it's, it's kind of like getting cobbles out of me. There's a <laughs> Moni Love. Yeah, yeah. Does it. Okay. There's another one who sampled this. Got it. We'll have to check those out. But it's, it's yeah, a lot of people were into it. And it's just catchy. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's just fun. Yeah, it makes you want to move for sure. Um, even now. <laughs> so, uh, you were recently, I mean, one of the things that you've said is that a lot of people don't really associate the Esquires with Wisconsin, with Milwaukee, because they did their recording in Chicago, they're all over the place, all over the Midwest and beyond, but uh, recently you were, you were inducted into the Whammy Hall of Fame, which is the Wisconsin Area Music Industry Awards, um, so hopefully now everyone knows. <laughs> they, they, well, a lot of people did know. Yeah. I can give you a story that my brother told me. He said that... Uh, 
it was this guy, I guess he was in Vietnam. And he's hanging he's hanging out in Vietnam, I guess wherever they're at Vietnam, they're fighting a war, obviously. Mm-hmm. And they're playing their music and the guy, he was a Caucasian guy, mm-hmm. but he's hanging around with all the African American mm-hmm. soldiers apparently apparently. So the African American soldiers said, What do you know about, you know, Motown mm-hmm. and all this? Because he liked it. R&B or soul music back then. <laughs> the guy said he told the guy, well, I know about Wisconsin because the guys, Wisconsin doesn't have any black people in it. <laughs> he said the guy told him, what about the Esquires? <laughs> and he said that he, from that, he said the soldiers didn't say one word <laughs> after that. You know, but that's an example. That's but funny. then some of, some of the older, older people, uh, I got to say, say this the right way, They'll say it a certain way. Oh no, you're calling them. They're from Chicago. I'm trying to call them to the radio show. Oh no, those are Milwaukee boys there. So they, a lot of people do know that they are from here mm-hmm. in this area. They know. Mm-hmm. But most of a lot of people uh, outside, mm-hmm. like a lot of people in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. thought that they were from Chicago. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in Chicago thought they were from Chicago. <laughs> It, no, yeah. in Detroit thought they were from, you, yeah. know, you know, a lot of people yeah. knew where they actually were from. This says right on the album. Right, right. You know, exactly. if you just read that album, yeah. you know, it's right there that they're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was actually tied into, because it came out around the same time that Father Grappi was making a lot of noise. Oh, right, right. So he got, kind of got tied into Father Grappi, everybody get on up, mm. you know, it kind of. Got it. But it's not why he wrote the song. Yeah, and Father Grappi, you want to explain that real fast for people who might not know what that is? Father Grappi was a civil rights activist mm-hmm. here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin during mm-hmm. the 60s, mm-hmm. who caused a pretty good uproar. <laughs> <laughs> For open housing and th- those type of things, and, and not so much the segregation in the city of Milwaukee, but you get my point. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. So thank you. Yeah, we don't need to go any further than that, but yes, that's, mm-hmm. that's essentially it. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that. that but perfect. he became, Father Cobb became real famous mm-hmm. for, his pro- for his civil rights and his protests in Milwaukee throughout the world. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, not people associating him with the song, but it was going on, all this is going on at mm-hmm. the same time. You know, when I think my aunt Brenda told me when they got presented to go record, they brought them out there, my mom and Brenda, to the Apollo in New York. They and brought she, who out there? My my mom and her, Elvis and okay, my aunt Brenda, because they presented with the go record, get mm-hmm. on up. They got presented to it, the go record got mm-hmm. presented to it at the Apollo in Harlem, mm-hmm. New York. So she said the people in New York were looking at her in Harlem and were like, you know, what's going on in Wisconsin? You know, you got Father Grappi here, and, you know, they hear about Father Grappi, but she said the one thing they kept, they said to her, goes, why y'all talk so funny? <laughs> <laughs> Which was said to me in Texas. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, you talk funny. <laughs> hey, what do you mean? You know, you know, the guy's mother, you know, you got a Midwest draw when you talk. <laughs> what do you expect? From well, Wisconsin. You betcha. Well done. Well done. Mm. <laughs> So, uh, what are the Esquires up to right now? We're, uh, like I said, we just got put into, well, my family's got put into the Hall of Fame. Uh, we'll, we'll be at Lineman's again, Jim Lineman's place, River West, mm-hmm. who's a great guy. Great he's just, he was of in local a, music. Yeah, of local music for years and years and years. We'll be there uh, a week from today. Okay. So anybody this is this, please come to 1004 East Locust Street on the east side of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to River West. Uh, tickets don't cost that much. Two for twenty-five. You get in single for fifteen. That's a Saturday yeah. night. Uh, 
Free food. Yeah, yeah. We'll feed you. Just come. We'll feed you. <laughs> and then we've got something. They'll give me a date here. I guess they called it yesterday. They're gonna. We'll be doing something in Chicago for the Christmas. Okay. Okay. And then we're at Pauly's in okay. West Dallas, February 11th. And then we'll be in Philadelphia again, mm -hmm. Mother's Day. Nice. We'll be back out there again. Nice. And yeah. now, and in your current version of the Esquires, you do a little bit more than your original stuff. You kind of, you're, you branched out and updated a little bit. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, we played, we played one place and the guy said, you should, the owner of the club, the how he did the songs, he goes, you should do in the date of the order leading up to the most recent songs, even though they're cover songs of how you do your show. So in other words, we do the Esquire stuff. Stylistics, Temptations, mm -hmm. uh, Luther Van Rose, a lot of ma Maze, The Whispers, mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. And we do we sing song Happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but with me being kind of born at a perfect, I call it a perfect time for music in America. Mm -hmm. I'm a kid in the adolescent in the '60s, mm -hmm. but I'm a teenager in the mid '70s. Mm -hmm. So. I got all this music that I grew up mm -hmm. listening to, okay? So, we had the Motown thing going in the 60s, and, and like I said, my dad now in the 60s with the Chicago thing, but as we turned over to the 70s, and I was like 9, 10, I, like everybody else, I like Jimi Hendrix, mm -hmm. okay? And then as time evolves, uh, I liked Tony Orlando and Dom, mm -hmm. Three Dog Night, mm -hmm. you know, listen to WOKY or Larry the Legend on WZU. Yeah, yeah. uh, so we're now we're like at like at Paulie's we will be doing different, not so much different type of stuff, but like we'll be singing Brandy by the Looking Glass. Okay. Stuff like yeah. that. We're looking to bring in like some yeah. Hall and Oaks. Yeah. Some of the some of these groups, yeah, I know the songs, but I don't know I can't remember the artists yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Like this in uh this ten C C a song by 10cc that we okay. like uh it's a couple of things by journey i like how you put that you were born in the perfect time for music mm -hmm. yeah yeah you really were because right? yeah. once the 70s come and then like i said and some people hate it but if when you did it song for song it was fine while that's it disco wasn't bad but i also grew up quote unquote with the funk mm -hmm. okay yeah and that was that was that was my generation. That would I mean to be a teenager at that time. Right at that yeah. time, you know, I kind of that's that's yeah. when I was coming through as a teenager. Yeah. So I still have this this music that from the old school from the yeah. '60s. Then it trans goes just before the disco thing happens, uh, or the funk, because that happens later. Disco gets there just just before it. At least most people think so. Uh, there's a sound that knocked Motown off the number one spot in R&B, mm -hmm. T-S-O-P. You know what that stands for? No. The Sound of Philadelphia. Ah. Now I know. Mm -hmm. I'll be That's in, gonna in the That's going to be stylistics <laughs> and Harold Miller the Blue Nose, the okay. OJs. Okay, yeah. That money on the love of money. That, Do other people that, call it T-S-O-P? Yes, that's on the record label. Oh, okay. Sound of Philadelphia. Philadelphia yeah. International Records. Huh. So they kind of came out really, 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 really strong mm -hmm. where they just took over mm -hmm. almost literally on 
R&B radio during, I want to say, from 70, about 72 to 75, mm -hmm. 76. Mm -hmm. They just, just keep coming hard and mm -hmm. just with all these hits. Lou Rawls. As a matter of fact, people don't know this, but the Jacksons first five first left Motown, they went to Philly International. Hmm. And then they went on to CBS or Epic. Mm -hmm. But I grew up with all that going on in my head all at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's know. so cool. And my, make a long story short, the first concert I ever went to that was not my dad and him <laughs> blew my socks off. What was that? 1968 at the Milwaukee Auditorium, James Brown. Wow. Look at you. I've never seen a controlled riot in my life until I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> he, first of all, he doesn't hit the stage till like maybe 10.30. He was late. I'll never, never forget this. Because my cousin was in, I'm only six years, the 68 year. I'm like seven. Yeah. So my cousin takes us and my uncle drops us off and he says be on this corner at this time there was a phone used to be a phone booth right down on the public phone booth right down on the corner of the toy he goes be right here and on this corner at 10 o'clock so we get to like at 7 30 when it was so they go on, 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 on. james brown never comes out james brown never comes out james brown never comes out <laughs> so Stephanie goes we gotta go daddy said be standing out here at 10 o'clock so showing that they had a break so he pulls up come on let's go and she goes, Daddy, James Brown ain't came out there. So he said, well, well where, where is he? He used more different language than yeah, that, which yeah. I can't say. Right. Except she's 11 and she's in charge. Everybody else is younger than her. Yeah. She's got her sister who's 9 or 10. I'm 7. My brother, I think, is 6. And other sister's 8. Like we knew. Mm -hmm. And we don't know where he's at. So he goes, well, come on. I just start crying. Mm -hmm. It was wrong. I don't want to see James Brown. So he looked at me for a long time. Yeah, all right, he make sure as soon as the show's over, you call and you call me. You're standing right here. So he leaves. So we get back in there about 10.30. Cordy Devin, James Brown finally hits the stage. And it's complete. Uh, it's not chaos. <laughs> because they're not missing and James is not missing. But the crowd is going crazy. The women are attacking the stage. Security <laughs> is getting to the woman before they can get to James Brown. Then he's not missing a step, and the band ain't missing a beat. It's wow. like, a, I'm like, I've never seen anything to this day. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Wow. I was like this. <laughs> and he was just doing this James Brown move. Everybody's yeah. screaming. The women are trying to get to the stage on him. And security's flying all around the stage. But they're not interrupting the show. Wow. And I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before in my, in my life. The, the the closest thing I ever seen to that was one night in El Paso, Texas. This is really weird. Morris Day. Hmm. When they first, after the Purple, Purple Rain movie, okay, he hits El Paso, Texas with is his solo with the album Colored Success. Mm -hmm. First time he's not been out with the time. He comes out down in El Paso, Texas, and it was like, oh, because now he's like been in the movies, I mm -hmm. guess. It's like an electricity in the air. Mm -hmm. And they went bonkers, mm -hmm. attacking the stage and trying to get to him. And he's really playing off of it. You know, he's mm -hmm. Mr. Cool himself. Mm -hmm. He's just, you know, messing with him. And you want my take? No, you can't have my handkerchief. Mm -hmm. Nah, and he's mm -hmm. screaming. And I just remind me of seeing James Brown when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But that's the closest. I've seen for something like that, mm -hmm. and I've seen the, on film them attack Michael Jackson <laughs> like that. 
Yeah. But those are the only three that ever seen like yeah. that. I've seen people trying to get on the stage, but was not... every concert a disappointment after James Brown? No, <laughs> no. I've seen. We were kids, so Summerfest would always bring in whoever yeah. was yeah. on the R&B time during the seventies. Whoever was number one, they always seemed to play Summerfest. Yeah. So I seen James Brown. I didn't see James Brown on Summerfest though. You okay. know he was there. Sly Stone, Summerfest. Okay. Jackson Five, Summerfest. Wow. Curtis Mayfield, Summerfest. Okay, and then I'm, then I'm starting to get a little bit older. Right, right. Uh, the OJs, where they had done one song, Money for the Love of Money. Yeah. 1974, with the moments, Ray Gilman and Brown. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Then the next year was the best one Gratitude, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Wow. Then the next year was even better Ohio Players, Fire, Do, Do, Do. Yeah. Then the next year was even better. Bootsy. No, Bootsy didn't come. The next year was the Brothers Johnson and Cool in the Gang. Oh my gosh. And then the next year was Bootsy you should and, write some and Brick. Yeah. Was Brick, <laughs> Brick was with one of them. Brick was either with Bootsy or who? Because I'm getting them mixed up because they both were there. Brick was with somebody and the Blackbirds were with somebody else. I never forget that. And then after that, mm-hmm. we ended up leaving. But at that time, Summerfest was great. Yeah. Because you got that down there, but they also had a jazz stage mm-hmm. that was definitely jazz. Mm-hmm. So I seen Cannonball. The one who makes, the one that plays the Adelie Brothers, Cannonball Alley and Nat Alley, the one that plays the trumpet that makes his jaws go super mm-hmm. big. I seen his last show. Mm-hmm. He died maybe two weeks later. At some at the Miller at the Miller Jazz Stage at mm, Summerfest. Wow. Stanley Clark I seen down there also. Wow. That's, you know. You gotta write this stuff down. But we but no but Summerfest you know had, did a good job of bringing in some of them acts that they brought in. You know yeah. at least when I was a teenager during that one year that I, who yeah. was big at that time did not play at Summerfest. Yeah. When I was a time. teenager. The first show I saw, and it was also at Summerfest, was Blink-182, so that's not anything in comparison to what you got to see. And <laughs> believe it or not, with Earth, Wind & Fire, one of Maurice White and Verdine White and then their other brother, Fred White, they are actually from, originally from Chicago. Yeah. So he's very familiar with, with the terrain. Okay, yeah, yeah. So during this, this actually the gratitude tour that they show up at Summerfest, I seen them later at the arena with the emotions and that's the really yeah. money. To make a long story short, the main stage was at the north end at the time. Right. The big yeah. yellow tent mm-hmm. thing that they had. So when Earth on the Fire comes in, instead of coming in, and he had to prearrange it. There's no way in the world, dude. <laughs> Some of us could arrange it. More reason why he had to do this. They were on like a boat. Yeah. And came in and kind of like stared at the crowd on this boat. Before they went backstage wow. on the water behind Lake Michigan, behind the stage, That's and then you got you got a picture of them sitting there looking at the crowd like yeah, that was here their we come. This is basically yeah, but you still got to go in the dressing room yeah, and come yeah. out, you but know. Still, but that's, that's how they arrived backstage. Oh, like wow. Well, I. Uh, that's who the Blackbirds were with. Oh, okay, got it. That's okay. well, we're seeing the Blackbirds yeah. dancing in red, damn in my song. I know yeah. that. Well. I have one last question for you, and uh, and that is, I always like to ask people on this podcast, um, what is the the biggest lesson you've learned along the way in in the music business, either from your dad or from your own experiences? 
stick to your creative ideas. Yeah. That's the biggest, you know, you learned a lot, but that's, at the end of the day, that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. If you, if you got, if you're creative with it and you feel that, that, and you will feel that because it's in your heart, you know what it is to begin with, that that's what you believe, that's right, then stick to it. Do not let a record company or a promoter or a manager or wherever come in. Stick to your creative values, artistic values. Mm -hmm. That's really the one main thing that I can't say. But through all the other BS that goes on with it, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that's all you got. It's all you got at the end of the day is your own true beliefs yeah. into what music that you're singing and what you're doing. Yeah. And that's the yeah. one thing that's, it's all you got. You got your family, you know, you, and for other musicians, you're going to make it big. Keep your family close. Yeah. And, and it sounds like your family did just that. You know, because it was important to them. The other, thing, the other thing I learned, my mom told me as a kid, the same people you see going up, going to be the same people you see coming back down. Right. So treat people with respect. You know, and be very, very modest about it. Because, and the other thing I learned, in my both my dad and my uncle Alvis always said the same thing: you ain't got to be the best, but be among the best. There's always somebody else out there that can do it just as good as you, right. somewhere, yeah. somewhere. So don't think yeah. that you're the best. Mm -hmm. You never will be the best, but you can be among the best. Because mm -hmm. music is, it's like beauty. Mm -hmm. Music in the ear of the beholder, music in the eye of the beholder. Mm -hmm. So I could take two spoons and, and sell 50 million records. Like, yeah, that sounds crazy. Yeah, but I made 50 million dollars off of it. Yeah. You know, it depends on who, who likes it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, but that, that's pretty much what I would tell anybody else. You know, yeah. the one thing I did learn was stick to your creative stuff. artistic values that you have. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not going to be out there rapping about game banging or mm -hmm. that's not my area anyway. Right, right. You know. Yeah. Never the only roughhousing you experienced was uh, Hank Aaron and Bar. Right, <laughs> yeah, you know they didn't. We grew up during a yeah, different, yeah. during a different time. You know, Milwaukee doesn't really have gangs right now, anyway. But it was a completely different Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just different. Yeah, different know, perspective. Yeah, different perspective. Everyone worked at the manufacturing job. I think mm -hmm. I told you that before. Mm -hmm. There was something about their hands, mm -hmm. and their hands were all messed up. Working in the management, but they all drove brand new cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> had nice homes and stuff. Yeah. Um, the north, actually, the north side of Milwaukee, that mm -hmm. took place. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing I know is my grandfather's driving there. Everybody seen they had new cars. <laughs> you know, but all their hands looked like claws. We're gonna, <laughs> wait, wait, what was it? Alice Chalmers, Al Smith, yeah. American Motors down there on right. East Capitol, Bridge and Stratton. I know. Yeah. And all those jobs. the same places mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. exactly honey yeah 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 absolutely well is there anything that we didn't talk about that you uh, would like to just make sure that that gets on here yes i'd like to let everybody know that the original seven song guitar player who put them together who's also he doesn't get credit okay for it but he did have a helping hand in it who actually helped write the song disco lady by johnny taylor which ended up being platinum mm -hmm. uh is still strong and going is the, is, the, is the Esquire's guitar player, the guy named Rudy Jacobs, mm -hmm. who actually is my boss. Yeah. That's my boss. I love that. You know, but he's originally from the, he's original Seven Sounds. Yeah. Right, he goes into Seven Sounds, but he went back and forth. He always played with the Seven Sounds, but he's playing it out with the Esquire since 74, from 74 on. 
So who's currently in the Esquires right now? It is, uh, I have my cousin Tam and Trish and Pam, Sam mm -hmm. and Trish's daughter. Uh, and then the other lady that I used at the Whammy mm -hmm. was another Esquire named Pete Scott's daughter named April who sung with us. Okay, she's, she jumps in when she mm -hmm. can, she helps out. And then the other female is Sharon uh, Miles, now she's Mary Burks, who I met in Chicago backing up Eddie Holman. Uh, for all the people out there, that's the guy you made, hey there, lonely girl. Mm -hmm. And then a guy named Dion, who's in Gary, he comes in and helps out too. Mm -hmm. So, the pretty much the foundation of it is is mm -hmm. me, and then sometimes Tammy, and then I just work the parts, the variables, when they can acclimate it to it, that mm -hmm. works for me. Because mm -hmm. sometimes, actually, Sharon and Dion are extremely, extremely, extremely busy. So if I have a date, like one like in February 11th, mm -hmm. it's easy for me to tell them and they will make it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, can you get here in three weeks? Oh, I can't. I don't know the same people you see me will be able to get there because they're they've seen all these other different people and some of them are national acts. But with I don't know how to explain it, say it except say it with my personality, mm -hmm. they, they kind of like no matter what, Johnny, we're going to be with you. Mm -hmm. Just let us know we got you. And that, that works. That's great. That works. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk mm -hmm. today. Yeah, so Johnny Moore with the Esquires 2. And then the song that we're attaching to this episode is That Ain't No Reason. And uh, any, anything in particular you want to say about that song? Yeah. It sounds like he may be talking about himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, you guys. I'm just, when you hear the lyrics, you're talking about yourself, but he's not. Okay. You know. Well, boy, I gotta, who are you talking about? Who are you writing that song about? You're gonna be talking about yourself. Fair there ain't no reason. How's it going? There ain't no reason for you to grieve me. There ain't no reason for you to leave me. All I left was a bottle cap to remind me why I went wrong. But he's not talking about himself. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he can't. The, the, the theme of the song is that he got intoxicated and forgot. Everything. <laughs> so why you want to leave me? Cause you, <laughs> my was grieved to leave me. This a but, I'm just making a joke out of it. Just my it. dad was his, he. My dad was a character. Got it. To say to say the least, he's he's dead. For some reason, he loved black paint. <laughs> okay. Painted his tour bus black. Hmm. Went to Kenny for Head Start, Hopkins Street School, which is now Hopkins Boys Street School. Mm -hmm. Head Start. My grandparents gave me this nice old-fashioned school desk that the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the drawer rolls up like that, like a curve. Mm -hmm. So I come home and everything, my first day of school, my father then painted my school desk black <laughs> to surprise me. One problem, he spray painted it with the door down, so now I can't get the door up. <laughs> and it's a long story in the family about that, but he did my... He, he's a quirky guy. Yes, he, he had his ways. He's, he's a good dad. He's yeah. definitely closer. He's a lot closer to being best dad, father of the year, than he ever was to being worst father of the year, my father. <laughs> and he, as we got older, he sold a lot of wolf tickets. You know, he always told us we were always going to get out of his house by the time we were 18. Yeah. Everybody's got to leave. He had five boys. And lo and behold, as each one of his kids turned 18, and he actually accomplished it, he kept all of his kids at home with him. After all, we heard this for four to five years about how we got to get out. As soon as we start turning 18, now you're taking all excuses to keep us home. But that's how he was. 
You know, he, that's, really that's yeah, that is sweet. You know, no matter yeah. what you do, you know, I'm going go to California. You come to Texas. All right, so I ended up moving to Texas. I went to school to California, and then I moved to Texas yeah. with my parents. Yeah. But it, the kids right behind me, these other kids, they were they were it, it hit El Paso at junior high and high school. And he did everything to keep them after they became adults at home with them. He ain't nothing bring the kids back. And he got the grandkids living there with him yeah. now. But that's just how he was. Aww. It's such a great family story. So thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed this. Absolutely. much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansadventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.